Rapids for being with us today. They just uh, released a CD project. You can pick that up on your way out today and uh, be of encouragement to them. I'm always um, taken back by people with taking bold steps to be able to take a ministry on the road kind of thing and to be able to get out and around. And so we're glad to have you in SoCal. And I'm glad you brought cooler weather. Well, today we are finishing up a series called The Fourfold Gospel. But it's also going to dovetail with our other series that we've been doing this summer called On the Brink. On the Brink has been about the book of Revelation. And guess what? The Fourfold Gospel closes with the subject that's in Revelation, the second coming of Jesus Christ. The Fourfold Gospel is a way to describe the heart and soul of what our Christian faith is about. We are part of a movement called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And the Christian and Missionary Alliance, you can sum up what this movement's been about for over 130 years now, I think, maybe. And it's about these four dynamics concerning a faith. That Jesus Christ is our redeeming Savior. Jesus Christ is our abiding sanctifier. Jesus Christ is our transforming healer. And Jesus Christ is our coming King. And we are completing Christ's Great Commission by taking the full, fourfold gospel to all peoples in all nations around the world. Now, if you were to be asked the question, well, who is this Jesus that you believe in? Or maybe who is this Jesus that you're considering becoming a follower of? Well, if you don't have those four aspects a part of your definition your understanding of who Christ is, then you need to do some realignment. You ever have a car that's out of alignment? Wobble, 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 sort of goes off to the edge. I tell you what, if you don't keep these four things in center focus, if you're out of alignment, then you will drift from what God intended for you to have in your faith. Jesus Christ is our Savior. Break the bread. Take the cup. He came so that we could have our sins forgiven and our lives transformed. Christ, our Savior, a redeeming Savior, one who brings transformation from the inside out, not a religion that you're trying to grab a hold of to be able to to make changes yourself. I know Joe this week had the opportunity uh, to speak uh, to some unusual kinds of individuals. He told me he had a lunch that he was going to. And I said, how would the lunch go? And he says, well, lunch went pretty good. They were asking different kinds of questions. But it was all the kinds of questions of well, what can I do and what I cannot I do if I end up being interested in being a Christian. And he's like, no, 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 no. It's, it's not about what you do and do not do. It's about a relationship. And the redeeming Savior, front and center, changes you from the inside out because he broke the power of sin, broke the power of Satan himself. He was raised from the grave, front and center, Christ our Savior. Now, I know a lot of people in the evangelical faith that that's sort of where they stop. Everything's just about getting saved. Get saved. Are you saved? saved? Yeah, I'm saved. Well, you're good to go then. Next Sunday, are you saved? Are you saved, right? Well, you got to move into the fullness of Christ. He's not just our Savior. He is also our sanctifier. Now, that's a big word. We looked at it a a couple weeks, a few weeks back. Sanctifier means change agent. And he is the one who makes us holy. And he is the one who gives you, uh, if you will, the perfection that you need to be in heaven. It's not your life, but Christ's life in you. He is your hope of glory. 
and it's a crisis moment in your life when you realize it's not about improving yourself. It's about you've been replaced. Your life is now found in Christ. And everything that's true of Jesus is true of you if you've invited him in your life. He is your sanctifier. It's a crisis moment, but it's also a progressive experience. And you discover that by discovering that he truly does abide with you and you abide with him at all times. So we looked at that. We looked at the Savior, looked at the sanctifier. We had kicked off a couple months ago looking at Christ as our transforming healer. In Christ's death and resurrection, he made it so not only that our sins are forgiven, but that our illnesses and that our infirmities can be healed as he leads. We had a beautiful experience of being able to pray over many people for healing on that Sunday. We're circling back around to that again today. Some of you here this morning are in desperate need of healing. Well, did God heal all the time? Sometimes his ways are above our ways and his thoughts are above our thoughts. But would you not be so pessimistic and double-minded and doubting? Jesus wants to touch and heal you. If you're a child of his, you have every right to center yourselves before the one who is the transforming healer. And whether that's a physical infirmity and an illness or maybe an emotional brokenness, Jesus Christ is your healer. He is present as if he walks through the, the doors this morning and touches people. We read about it in Scripture, right, that Jesus Christ touched and healed people. He healed him in his name and he pointed him to the Father's glory and to relationship with him. But Jesus wants to meet your physical, emotional, broken need today. And so, at your conclusion of service today, I want to invite you to be able to be prayed for healing. Some of our prayer team will be back by the cross. And the Scriptures say to anoint the sick person with oil, and the prayer offered in faith can make the sick person well. And I've started to hear even different testimonies in the last weeks, few weeks this summer of God starting to touch and heal physically. Why do we doubt that Jesus, if he's present, he's abiding within, wherever two or three are gathered in the midst? Did you know that Jesus can meet your need today? And a lot of times we just don't have that expectation. We don't believe in faith healing as a movement. We believe in divine healing. Your faith is critical and very important to have divine healing. But he is the one who is the healer. It's not our faith. It's not our belief. Jesus says if you have the faith of a mustard seed, if you like beef and cheddars like I do at Arby's, those are the little teeny things that get stuck in your teeth. If you have faith that big, you can move a mighty mountain. So you don't worry about the faith. Let other people pray over you. Let them symbolically anoint you with oil. Meet back at the cross. Christ is our transforming healer here today. So how's your alignment going? Who are you worshiping? Who are you uh, praying to every week? Is it Jesus Christ just the Savior? Or is it also Jesus Christ, the abiding sanctifier, the transforming healer? And we're here today to talk about Jesus Christ as our coming King. How many of you are looking forward to something in your fall schedule? How many of you are looking forward to going back to school? Huh, kids? It's all the parents. Yes. We are looking forward to the kids going back to school. Some of the college kids are like, yeah, I want to get back. Let's get at it. Maybe there's, I don't know, a vacation you still have hanging out there that you're thinking about. Maybe there's some friends that are coming into town. and You're like, man, I'm really looking forward to them coming. 
Maybe it's a job promotion that's, that's come around the corner unexpectedly, and you're like, yeah. Maybe some of it's retirement. I don't know. What are you looking forward to? There is hardwired within us a need to have something that pulls us forward. Hope. 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 And the story that you and I are living in, the epic that we're a part of, called this Christian faith, it has something that's pulling us forward. And it's called the second coming of Jesus Christ. And if you don't have that hope within you, then I tell you what, your faith starts to become a drudgery in many ways because you look at the world around you and you go, is there any hope for this world? Well, there is. And we even mentioned, I think, last week, the whole thing of, of not getting, you know, everything caught up in, you know, oh, am I measuring up? And what's going to, you know, you just need to realize that Jesus Christ is faithful and true to his promises. There are scriptures all throughout this Bible that give prophetic word to his coming, his first coming, but his second coming as well. And I don't have time to go through all those verses. Just know, if you want to be a person of the Bible, then you're going to be a person of hope, of expectation. And so, no matter what's happening in our world, we know the end. Yeah, a little diddly song. Um, I read the back of the book and we win. You ever hear that? We win, we win, hallelujah, we win. I've read the back of the book and we win. You're not going, Carrie, just move on. That's, it's, it's not good. You know, Steve and Sandy did such a great job, and now you're just sort of butchering up the music aspect, all right? I hear what you're saying. Well, I tell you what, Christ our coming King, I'm going to take you to the back of the book, because the back of the book, we win, and it's something that calls us forward. And if we don't have this front and center, then we're out of alignment, and we're going to go into some ditches. Because Jesus Christ wants us to hold on to a deep spirit of expectation concerning his second coming. So I want you to look with me in the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, we find a lot of incredible things. Now, we've been in the book of Revelation, right? Remember the churches that we're walking through? And I'm really looking forward to next week. Do not miss next week. Next week, the church at Laodicea is my favorite church addressed. Next to the one in Ephesus. Any preacher that doesn't like the letter to the church at Laodicea is dead. <laughs> so you'll find out why. All right. So we're going to finish up the seven churches next week in the church at Laodicea. And then on the 21st, right, we're have a big summer bash. And Joe really would like to use the slip and slide for baptism, but I told him not. <laughs> The slip and slide is a big balloon thing. It blows up. It's not just the little flat thing, right? So it'll be fun. But, no, we're going to have the water tank, baptisms. Love to have you baptized, especially if you've never been baptized and Jesus Christ is your Savior. But on that day, um, we are going to just gather together and we are going to finish out that series on the brink by saying, what would Jesus' letter be to the church at the awakening? And I'm waiting. I told you guys for three weeks you could send me emails, tech messages. If you're hearing, and I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not so facetious on this, I'm serious. If the Spirit of God is speaking to you about a word that needs to be said to our church at this season of our life, then bring it to me. I'll look in course of Scripture and run it past a few others. But this is what 
we need to do, dig around our ears, what would Jesus say to the church at the awakening? All right? So that's in two weeks when we do the bash and the baptism and I guess the big taco buffet, right? And all that's exciting there. But we're going to finish out this series in Revelation. And you're going to see today how actually these two series, the series on the fourfold gospel and the second coming of Christ and the series we've been in called On the Brink sort of come together. All right? But I want you to think in terms of Revelation, what's happening. We're going to the back of the book where we win. The front of Revelation is tied to the end of the book of Revelation, but there's a lot in between. If you remember the front of Revelation, Jesus uh, appears to John on the island of Patmos. Very good. And he appears in a vision or in presence, and John is sort of blown away. Remember what was spoken, and I turned around and heard the voice that was speaking to me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and one in the middle of the lampstands was standing like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching down to his feet. And across his sash, his chest was a golden sash, and his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire, and his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. What would you do? And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And he laid his right hand on me, and he said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I was dead, and I am alive forevermore, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. That vision of Jesus in all of his glory, and then Jesus said, write what you see and, and what is and what is to come. And that's where the seven letters to the, the churches and revelations come from. It's from that, that vision, that uh, um, visual presence of Christ before John on the island of Patmos. Well, if you go to the back of the book that we went at in Revelation, you find these words in Revelation 19. In Revelation 19, it says this. Once I can get there. Revelation 19, referring to the second coming of Jesus Christ. I saw, verse 11, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse. Uh, a side note for all you animal lovers. If you ever wondered if there's animals in heaven, eternal realms, right here, it comes on a white horse, right? So there has to be, and you know, and so white horses, you're a lover of horses, Maybe you're a dog or cat person. I'm sorry, probably both will be there, but they're there. So 19 says this. Before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. Now listen to this, verse 12. Does this sound familiar? His eyes are like blazing fire. Oh, yeah. And on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword. Remember the sword of truth, the double-edged sword? We talked about that. There it is again. With which to strike down the nations. He will rule then with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury, the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. I don't know. What is that up there in the sky? I don't know. No, you're not going to question. 
You're not going to question who he is, what it's all about. When Jesus breaks through the sky, King of kings, Lord of lords, that's the banner. Done deal. No more elections. Praise God. All right? King of kings, Lord of lords. It's it. We're done. That's it. Eternal reign set up. Now, those are incredible words. Now, if you're going to read chapter 20, you're going to hear about a thousand-year reign, a millennium. We're not going to talk about that today. I might give reference to it. Verse chapter 21 in Revelation, we're moving towards the back, is the new Jerusalem. Got to read through that every now and then. Just remember, doesn't matter what kind of shack you're living in now. You got a pretty cool place. It's in your future. And then chapter 22. Chapter 22, three different times, we hear the voice of Jesus speaking. These are truly the last words of Jesus. You know, when it comes around to Passion Weeks, it's like, you know, the what are the last words of Jesus on the cross? It's a powerful kind of study and a series to do. But if you really want to read the last words of Jesus in the Bible, you've got to go to the back of the book. Revelation 22. And in Revelation 22, these are the three sets of words that Jesus speaks. I'm going to walk through the latter verses. Verse 7. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I had heard and seen them, I mean, this whole vision still from the island of Patmos when the Lord appeared to him, right? And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, do not do it. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and the prophets and all those who keep the words of this book. Worship God, not me. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. Behold, the time is near. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. In other words, things will continue in this moment as the Lord comes. And then verse 12. Behold, Jesus says, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the adulterers, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. And the spirit and the bride said, come, John says. And let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. That's a tough warning. And if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share of the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. Tough words, especially for those of us who stand up and speak on his behalf. And then verse 20 of Revelation 22. He who testifies to these things, who's that? Jesus. 
in all of his brilliance and his glory. These are the last words of Jesus. Yes, I am coming soon. What's John's response to all that? What is there else to say? But amen. Amen means so be it. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The scripture says in verse 21, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. You know, sometimes we as Christians, either we get lulled to sleep or we get distracted by the things of the world or we just choose to leave, live in ignorance. When I was young, I was uh, very passionate for Christ in my teenage years. So teenagers, you can be passionate for Christ. have a lot of peers who are passionate, knocking things down for the kingdom of God. You are never too young to be on fire for God. But I had some people, even some dear Christian leaders, a little worried about me. And one of the statements that was said to me once was, Carrie, I'm concerned that you're so... Heavenly minded that you're not going to be any earthly good. What do you mean? I mean, I got caught up in this end time stuff, too. I mean, I I would read the books, the timelines. I mean, I wanted to, what's the big picture, right? Some of you heard me know that's part of my testimony. That's why it's not too difficult for me to speak on this subject today. But I was sort of taken back, a little indignant. What do you mean I'm too heavenly minded to be any earthly good? And then I started observing people, Christians. Recently, I've started to see what happens to my own life over the years. And it's really the other way around. I don't find Christians so heavenly minded they're not earthly good. Oh, there's some that are sort of pie in the sky. And it's like, just be real with me. Come on, talk like you're real. Don't use all those weird words and stuff like that. Don't be walking around like holier than thou kind of people. Right? But there's really not a lot of those kinds of individuals that are off in some spiritual utopia that can't relate to real life. Okay? It's the other way around. People aren't so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. They're so earthly minded that they're no eternal heavenly good. Is that true of your life today? Maranatha means come, Lord Jesus, come. We are called to be watchful. We are called to be faithful. We are called to be diligent. And it doesn't cause me to have this escapist mindset. It calls me into reality to be at it, to be at the task. But what I've noticed through the years as I've studied end time stuff, the second coming, is that a lot of times it's presented in a horrendous kind of way. And I don't know if it's because of book series like, you know, um, uh, Tim LaHaye's series. What was that series there? Uh, Left Behind series. I remember the first movie that ever scarred me in my life was in a church. It was called A Thief in the Night. had a guillotine and everything, man. I was like, oh, my gosh. Some of you a little older, you know that one. A lot of times, end times, second coming, focuses on Armageddon and the wars and all the evil and the judgment and the wrath. And friends, God is a just God. He is a holy and just God. There's no better person to fall into the hands of than an all-knowing just God. You don't have to defend yourself. He knows. And that may be good or bad for some of us, right? But 
our focus as believers on end times needs to be this hope of Jesus coming, redeeming, making all things right. And it should well up within us at some type of quasi-regular basis so that we live with a spirit of expectancy that calls us forward. It's not just school. It's not just the, the job promotion. It's not just you know retirement that calls us forward. But we are being called forward daily and weekly as believers because Jesus says, I am coming soon. Does that well up with inside of you as a, a spirit of expectation and hope? Or maybe you doubt it. When Jesus said he was, was, was coming, again, it wasn't that it, it meant that he was coming to dwell within us as the abiding, as the redeeming Savior's abiding sanctifier. All right? It, yeah, he does come into our hearts. It, it doesn't mean that he's coming into our world through evangelism and other things. It, I, I mean, all those things can be true. But when Jesus says, yes, I am coming, he's talking about a physical. We've talked about this boots on the ground. I'm here to redeem heaven and earth. But we sit back so many times and get myopic and consumed with our problems. I've been there in the last few weeks myself. I've had multiple vehicle issues. I have decisions here at the church that are still outstanding. I can't believe we're not getting on with some answers here, God. I have housing issues going on in my life. There's travel issues happening, and you're trying to juggle all this, and you get a little overwhelmed. And that paper I told you I'm working on, it's just not going as well as I'd hoped. Okay? <coughs> Anxiety. Discouragement. Sometimes I can slip into a depression. You need to grab a hold of the reality that Jesus Christ he defeated the adversary for whatever reason. He's letting him roam for a while, but he's coming back and he is going to restore all things. And you, if you are a follower of Christ, get to be a part of that eternity. Let it call you forward. Do not be so earthly minded that you're no heavenly good. Some of you fly often. Do you enjoy flying? Eh, if you fly often, it's like, no, not necessarily. All right, so we're sitting on the plane, right? It's packed. They're always packed these days. What happened to the days where I got three seats all to myself? It's packed, and it pulls into the taxiway, right? You've landed. You're glad to be, you know, wheels back on the ground, and you know the routine, right? On the speaker comes, please remain seated with your seatbelt fastened until we are at a complete stop. Why do you have to tell people that? Because we're ready to go. We're ready to get out of that seat. And so it stops, and then people start popping up, and you're like, what are you doing, dude? We're going to be sitting here for a long time until they open that thing, and we're at the back of the plane, right? You ever think that way? But then I have to think, well, the people in front of me, I don't know what's for them on the other side of the gate. Well, they used to meet you at the gate. Remember that day when you actually had family that met you right when you came off the jetway? Not anymore, right? But you got family or somebody. They are doing what? They are anticipating the hope that's at the other end of the jetway, the airport, because there's family, arrival, or maybe they're back home, and they're going to be driving home to see the kids. Maybe they're at a work destination or whatever and they're ready to get on with their day. But nobody likes to sit on the plane. Anybody? No. <laughs> you want to get off the plane. They don't say, please, 
you know, the, the opposite of that instead of saying, you know, please you remain seated. You know, it's not flipping it around on the other side of that and say, you know, please, you know, could you, you not be so quick to, to get off the plane, but can you be so quick to sit down? No. You want to go. Next time you're on your plane and you see people heading off, ask yourself, why are Christians not more excited to get off this plane and get home? For whatever reason, we think sitting on the plane that this is it. This is not it. It's a beautiful world. It's a fallen world, though. God's redeeming this world, a new heaven and a new earth. But you and I, we have something that calls us forward. It's the beauty of the destiny of the second coming of Christ, the new Jerusalem. All creation waits patiently and hopefully for that future day when God will resurrect his children. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a mighty shout and with the soul-stirring cry of the archangel and the great trumpet call of God. And those who are dead in Christ will be first to rise. And then we who are alive will meet up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we remain with him forever. Now I want to go back to our series of last week. The church in Philadelphia. The last part of that letter, and if you remember, Jesus does not exhort them to change anything. He blesses them. The one church, Smyrna was the, the other one, but they were not dumped on because they were doing stuff wrong. God was just blessing them. And Jesus says this to them in Revelations 3.10. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one can take your crown. I don't want to get deep in the weeds this morning, but I want to paint a little bit of the picture. You've seen me throwing it up before just to remind us what is Jesus talking about here? And you may have some of your personal beliefs and directions, but I believe that Jesus Christ is talking about how things are going to unfold in the end times. We said that Scripture is very clear that the age to come is yet out there. But in Christ, at his first coming, Jesus brought the first fruits of the resurrection of the dead. He brought the age to come into our present age. So if you had a timeline from creation to the end of the world, to the new world, to the new heaven and new earth, you would start with creation. And before that, it was firmless and void. Who for knows how long? I mean, God's the God of the world, right? There's the Big Bang, but he started the Big Bang. So he was always there. All right? But then he created earth. He created all the animals. He created you and I. He came to redeem that which was broken at his first coming. And then we talked how those letters written to the churches in Revelation actually took place during what was called the church age, a period of currently 2,000 years, a period between Jesus Christ's first coming and his second coming. The X marks the spot of the letter to the church at Philadelphia. Where are we at, we said on this timeline. It could very well be closer to the second coming of Christ. 
But if you started to put together the timeline, you would also start to understand that there's maybe a little bit more to it than the simplicity of a first coming and a second coming and that everything is okay. In fact, you can look at the letters to the seven churches in Revelation, not only as physical churches in a time-space continuum that needed to be addressed by Jesus, and they were, but you can see the seven churches as seven different kinds of churches through all of the church age. That's why we can say, all right, in two weeks we get the letter to the awakening. And I guarantee you the letter to the awakening is going to have some highs and lows from some of the other letters. Why? Because the other seven letters represent all churches through all of the church age. Some have lost their first love. Some are allowing false doctrine to come into place. Some have the appearance of being alive, but they're dead. Right? So also, we can reflect on the church age in that way. But there's another way to which take the seven letters, and that is they represent different seasons of church history. Now, I usually don't dive into this with a lot of belief, but it's interesting to see some people depict it. And so they will take the 2,000 years we're in, and we're saying, well, we started out with the church at Ephesus. Let me blow that up there a little bit for you because you can't really see it, right? The church at Ephesus from A.D. 30 to 100 represented the apostolic church. Then Smyrna represented 100 to 313. Now, this is on someone's time continuum that they put together. They were trying to figure this out, right? And that was the Roman persecution. The Pergamum letter addressed the age of Constantine from 313 to 600. Thyatira were the dark ages from 600 to 15 to 17. And then Sardis was the Reformation area from 1517 to 1648, according to this individual's time uh, table. And then Philadelphia, which we looked at last week, is the missionary movement from 1649 to 1900. And then the Laodicea age, 1900 to the present. And then at the end of that is this period of the rapture and then the tribulation when the world will really have a lot of havoc wrecked upon it. Now, we're not going to spend any time on this. I just wanted to let you know this. The seven letters to the church's revelation on the brink, which way are they going, represents seven physical time and space continuum churches. It also represents different places through a church age, different kinds of churches. It could reflect seasons and years. You know, I'm one of these guys where I like this kind of stuff. I'll think about it for a little bit. I'll move on. Those kind of, and I'm just looking forward to heaven when we sit in a big classroom and you get the, well, this is what it was. I'll be, how about that? You know, that does apply to there. That's pretty cool, right? I want to pull this out, though, because of a letter to the church in Philadelphia. The letter to the church in Philadelphia, when it said this, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. That statement, I think, is one of the strongest statements for belief in what's referred to as the rapture. The word rapture is not in Scripture. The word rapture means the taking up of believers for the Lord himself will come down from heaven, but that God, he will take those who are followers out of the world to be in his presence, as certainly as Moses and Elijah appeared with Christ. When you die as a believer, you are in his presence, absent from the body, present with the Lord. But that passage in the church, a Philadelphia letter, 
where Jesus says, you're doing really good. I want you to know this, though. Don't get too overwhelmed because I'm going to keep you from the trial and the tribulation that's going to come upon a world. And that's possibly the rapture aspect. Now, he goes on and says this, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, chapter 21 we mentioned, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. And then he finishes this letter as he did with the five before it. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus, very mindful, he is coming soon. He tells this church, do not worry, you have been doing good, well said, be blessed. I'm going to keep you from the tribulation and the trials. And I am going to write your name down in the citizenship books of the new Jerusalem. And so our hope needs to stand good there. I want to list for you eight things that you can take on your own, refresh some of the hope that calls you forward when Christ comes again. The blessing of his coming. A.B. Simpson, who framed up the, the fourfold gospel for the Christian Missionary Alliance, he says these are the blessings of his coming, and you need to be mindful of them. It will bring us Jesus himself. For all the new Jerusalem and all the beauty and all the things, it's Jesus himself that we get to live in the presence of. It will bring us our friends. Every week, somebody is facing the challenges of passing from this life. Maybe you've had loved ones or family members. If they are in Christ and followers of the Lord, you will see them again. Think about if you didn't have that hope. It will bring us perfect spirits. All that brokenness in our heart about, oh my goodness, I sin or I fall here, I'm double-minded here. Our spirits will be made whole and perfect when Christ comes. It will bring us perfect bodies. We will be clothed with immortality. That ache, that cramp, gone. New bodies, that aging face you look in the mirror with, vibrant and new, full of life. It will give us the sweetest and highest service. We don't sit around with harps on clouds. Things you wanted to do and long for, things you desire to see, you will get to take your giftedness and see it used in the heavenly realms and be able to serve God and his purposes for all eternity. It will banish Satan. Good riddance. It will bring us such blessings to others, to the race, and to the whole world. I want us to just ask ourselves. How much is the hope of the second coming calling me forward in my present life? Or am I allowing Satan himself and sinful people around me and my own brokenness to cause me to lay in 
a low, mucky ground, sluggish from one day to the next. Jesus says, yes, I am coming soon. With Jesus, a thousand years is one day. One day is a thousand years. Jesus is waiting. He seems to be slow, right? Not necessarily. Not in his eyes, in his view. It's like the girl and the guy had been dating a while. She was supposed to uh, have him show up at a certain hour. She got all dressed up and he didn't show up. She waited and waited and didn't show up. So she went back, took her makeup off, sat down, let her hair down, kicked her feet up, had a bunch of munchies there, started watching TV with her dog, and lo and behold, two hours later, the doorbell rings. <laughs> she goes and answers the door. He opens up, looks at her, and says, What? I'm two hours late? You're still not ready? Come on! <laughs> I think maybe that's the way it is when some Christians Jesus comes back. I've been waiting 2,000 years. You guys still aren't ready? Come on. Let it call you forward. I want to invite some friends up this morning as we're going to close. And Steve and Sandy are going to have a song for us to sing at the end. But I want to close in prayer for this family. Because one of the things we're called to do while we wait for Jesus Christ's return, comes straight from Matthew 24:14, of which the Alliance Movement has built a lot on. In this gospel of the kingdom, Christ's Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and Coming King will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all people, and then the end will come. Jesus will come back when we have completed the task that he's called us to do, to take this gospel to all people. We've had some people moving in and out of the church recently, and today is the last Sunday for a family that comes out of our small group again. I don't know. We're going to have to replenish our small group. But uh, I would like.